Welcome. You are listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, and this is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. While it's always better to hear it live, this is a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. Enjoy our latest installment. Shabbat Shalom. This week marks the one-year anniversary since the lockdown began, and the world has paused to absorb the enormity of the year gone by. A presidential address, countless articles, programs, and podcasts on every aspect of life in pandemic, emails from pretty much every institution of which we are a part, and of course, memorial services to mourn and pay tribute to the lives lost. Our world, our country, our Jewish community has changed March 2020 to March 2021, and eternity endured in a blink of an eye. It is understandable and appropriate that we should all pause to reflect on where we were then and where we are today. Given the backdrop, you may find the subject about which I want to speak today to be both predictable and curious, the subject of Shabbat. Because never did I imagine a year ago, as a rabbi, that we would be where we are today. The cameras, the lighting, the monitors, Zoom, Livestream, YouTube, Facebook, and most of all, the technical team who worked so hard behind the scenes to make it all happen. As I was thinking about what I wanted to talk about today, I thought of having a camera follow me through the building like they do on Saturday Night Live so you could see the control room, the choir, the musicians, the maintenance team, and the B'nai Mitzvah families on the third floor and on the lower level. I won't, but know that if I did, you'd be blown away by the work, the wisdom, professionalism, and love that go into each and every Shabbat. I'm so incredibly proud to be part of the Park Avenue Synagogue team, the clergy, the staff, and the lay leaders who have pivoted so ably this past year in response to crisis. To be sure, I wish it were otherwise. To paraphrase Rabbi Yochanan of the Talmud, I welcome neither our sufferings nor our reward. And yet when I think of how our labors have brought spiritual succor and Jewish connection to our synagogue members and thousands more, I am filled with a sense of purpose knowing that our efforts have elevated the spirit of both Shabbat and the Jewish people. And yet, and yet, our labors have not come without a cost. Because while we've enlarged the boundaries of Shabbat engagement, In so doing, we have also stretched well beyond the boundaries of Shabbat observance, beyond anything that my colleagues and I have ever imagined that we would do. In the years to come, there will be dissertations written as to how Jewish law and leaders responded to the challenges of this past year. Fascinating as those dissertations will be to read, truth be told that it hasn't been easy for those of us living the subject in real time, 
the texts, the teleprompters, the technology, none of it falls under any normative definition of halakha of Jewish law. I can still remember with great clarity the first time following the Pittsburgh shooting that I decided to start carrying a cell phone with me to shul on Shabbat. In retrospect, given where we are today, it's a decision that feels positively quaint. In the past year, I've often wondered to myself, and today I'm wondering aloud, if in our efforts to keep the Shabbat, the Shabbat has in fact been kept. Will the decisions we have made this past year be remembered as our people's finest hour? Or will history hold us accountable for having inflicted irreparable harm upon our tradition? The job of the synagogue is both to spread the sanctity of the Shabbat far and wide and to uphold the very laws by which that Shabbat is constructed. The uncomfortable fact of the year gone by is that we've been asked to choose between the two. If we uphold the letter of the law, fewer people will share in the spirit of Shabbat. And yet the more we leverage technology on Shabbat, the looser is our hold on Jewish law. Uncomfortable as the choices of this past year may be, it is a tension that sits at the very foundation of the institution of Shabbat itself. The rabbis of old well understood the irony that in one's very efforts to create the sacred, one may also find oneself engaged in the very activities by which the sacred is violated. In our foundational code of Jewish law, the Mishnah, the rabbis enumerate the 39 categories of labor in Hebrew, the Malachot, prohibited on Shabbat, sewing, plowing, binding, sheaves, threshing, winnowing, and so on and so forth. Why these activities and not others? What, if any, is the eternal logic of these 39 Malachot, these 39 labors? All questions deserving of exploration. But the most interesting question in my mind is that of why the rabbis chose to anchor these 39 prohibitions in the construction of the Mishkan, the Israelites' portable desert sanctuary about whose construction we read about this week. All 39 labors, every malacha involved in the construction of the sacred space meant to house God's presence are the same 39 labors prohibited on our most sacred day. They sowed, therefore you must not sow. They reaped, therefore you must not reap. They carried, therefore you must not carry. The linkage, the linkage between prohibited Shabbat labor and the creation of sacred space is more than just a window into the interpretive imagination of the rabbis and the circuitous manner by which Shabbat law is deduced. By rendering taboo on Shabbat, the very activities by which God's sanctuary is established, a metaphysical connection is established between the two. Human creation is juxtaposed with divine creation. It was a 19th century rabbi, Shimshon Raphael Hirsch, who noted on the verse regarding the prohibition against kindling fire, lo tevaru ash. He writes, on Shabbat, the cessation of work is the belief and acknowledgement that the ability to master matter, the creative productive power that man has, is lent to him by God, and it is only to be used in God's service. The idea of Shabbat is to be understood not so much as laying our world at the feet of God, but as laying our relation to our world at God's feet. For Hirsch, 
for Heschel, for so many others, there is a profound theological calculus at play in connecting the 39 forbidden labors with the building of the tabernacle. The Sabbath prohibitions are intended not as acts of submission, but of liberation, or more precisely, a submission that is a liberation in that we are reminded that it is tradition, not technology that anchors us, each other, and not email that sustains us, our creator in heaven, and not commerce that we have been put on this earth to serve. Of all the choices available to the rabbis, why were the Shabbat laws derived from the construction of the desert tabernacle, the Mishkan? Because the rabbis understood that in our refrain from labor, a far greater spiritual gain was to be had, the opportunity to enter what Heschel called a palace in time, to experience what the ancient mystics described as a taste of the world to come. Looking back on this year gone by, looking at where we are today, I feel the intergenerational I told you so of my rabbinic predecessors, their insight that the very labors we deployed to create space for God could paradoxically be the self-same labors by which Shabbat is breached. I struggle as a rabbi who, if nothing else, is called on to lead by example. By live streaming on Shabbat, by teaching Shabbat Torah classes in virtual settings, by asking people to text Shabbat Shalom to loved ones after Lachadodi, have I stepped on a slippery slope from which there is no getting up? Befuddled as I am by Orthodoxy's inability to see our unprecedented state of affairs as a justification for halachic change, I am not quite sure what, if anything, on this particular subject of technology on Shabbat differentiates me from a reform rabbi. What are my red lines as a conservative rabbi regarding technology use on Shabbat? Because while I have read the halachic literature, the debates as to whether one may or may not Zoom a Seder, whether Kaddish may or may not be recited in an online minion, and whether one is better to switch Zoom on before Shabbat begins. An honest assessment of my approach to such questions is best summarized as in for a penny, in for a pound. Questions such as whether one holds, according to the Chazon Ish or Reb Shlomo Zalman Arbach, as to whether closing an electrical switch constitutes a breach of a biblically prohibited law, are questions that have not, quite frankly, informed my decision-making this past year. I did my job, I'd do it again, but for better or for worse, I have chosen to go beyond the law in order to uphold the law, to break an aspect of Shabbat in order that many Shabbatot can be upheld in the future. But more than my struggle as a rabbi, more than any nuanced discussion of halacha or any theological concern if Hashem actually cares about me using an iPod on Shabbat or whether yet again I will be passed over for the halachic man of the year award is the personal toll I feel. COVID has tethered us all to technology in ways that we never dreamt possible and we all find ourselves in desperate need of spiritual sanctuary 
Looking back at this past year, I feel myself akin to the man as described by Rav Khuna in the Talmud, who travels through the wilderness for so long that he loses track of when Shabbat actually is. As Jews, our spiritual lives have atrophied this past year on account of so many reasons. We've lost the joys that Shabbat brings, its Shabbat tables filled with friends, its sanctuaries overflowing with communal prayer, its kiddishes filled with kibitzing and high-carb cookies. We have also lost the boundaries that Shabbat brings, the cessation in work and technology that differentiate Shabbat and carry us, or at least me, through the other six days of the week. I mourn the erosion of the distinction between the Shabbat and the workaday week. I own the choices I have made, and I believe them to be justified. But I also feel the costs, spiritually speaking, incurred. If nothing else, this year gone by serves as an unsolicited case statement for the wisdom and power of our tradition. I pray that when the time comes, please God soon to safely return, we remember the thirst we feel right now for the rituals and rhythms of our people, and we commit ourselves with a fervor reflecting our present longing. Indeed, far more interesting than thinking about where we were last March as compared to this March is to think about where we will be next March as compared to this March. Are the decisions we have made this year temporary measures for times of crisis, or is a proverbial toothpaste out of the tube and there is no turning back? These are good questions that cannot be avoided and for which truth be told, I have no answers, certainly not today. That said, I'll offer the following final three thoughts, comfort for myself and hopefully for you. First, Kanahara, it should be God's will that we are soon enough at a place of public health where we can vigorously debate such questions. We should be so lucky. We are still very much, though, in the midst of Sha'at Hadachak, an emergency situation. Call me superstitious, but it strikes me as tempting fate and invitation to the evil eye to start debating halachic positions prematurely. If COVID has taught us anything, it is that none of us can see as far into the future as we would like to imagine ourselves to do. Second, to the degree that I can make a binding declarative statement, any future of Park Avenue Synagogue will be a future that includes online Shabbat services. What that platform will be, how you will access it, how we're gonna integrate our in-person and online communities, and a million other questions, we haven't quite figured it out. We're actively working on it. You actually received a survey about it. Park Avenue Synagogue has always pushed the envelope. We've historically been early adopters on these questions. It was under my predecessors that services were first recorded. Our decision to live stream to the homebound elderly and infirm long preceded COVID. I may not always respond, but I do read your letters and emails and it is affirming to know how appreciated our efforts are, how so many of you have stepped up to support the synagogue and join as non-resident members. We will assuredly continue to serve searching Jewish souls 
virtually wherever they may be. And third and finally, and on this I promise faithfully, we will continue to struggle. We will face the paradox of Shabbat head on, committed to sharing its spirit, committed to affirming its boundaries, not so much in finding resolution, but in a thoughtful and transparent embrace of the tensions therein, as I hope I've modeled this morning, lies the strength of our community. It is the paradox upon which Shabbat is founded. It is a balancing act upon which a self-respecting conservative synagogue should define its mission. It is a path that has guided and will continue to guide our community. Difficult as it is, it is a struggle that is well worth having. It sustained our people for generations and may it continue to do so for generations to come. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. See you in shul. Hallelujah.